We've been traveling through this uh, book of Philippians, uh, and we've been sort of in it now for six, I think this is maybe week seven, and Paul's been writing this letter to the Philippians. Uh, they're about 14, 1,500 kilometers away from where he is, I think. And he's been painting this picture of the fact that in life, there's no greater joy that exists or that can be found in life than one that's lived out in partnership and participation that comes through uh, encountering the gospel, that comes through uh, encountering a relationship with Jesus in your life. And he's been kind of pushing across the table this idea that he gives you an unconquerable approach to life. That means even when it's impossible to be happy, there's still this base note of joy in our lives attached to what God has done in us and for us uh, through Jesus. So we, we find Paul writing things like, to live is Christ. Life is never devoid of meaning. Uh, there's always development of spiritual growth that's going on. There's always adventure to be undertaken. Sam ha- has just told a whole story of that kind of adventure. And then you know what? If that adventure and when that adventure of life brings you to your death, um, Paul says, well, to die is gain. All the realities that have been brought into your life through a relationship with Jesus are not severed with death. They don't end. They aren't taken away from you at death. Rather, if anything, they're enhanced because the presence and the power of sin that that sort of um, seeks to squash those things is gone, is no more. Uh, The hindrance of them is taken away. And it's what makes Paul this unconquerable servant uh, that we find, and his hope in writing this letter to the Philippians, and by extension, uh, we read it now, is that we too, likewise, would become these people of unconquerable servanthood. That's what Paul's been pushing across the table. Uh, that's one of the themes, and that's what we're we're going to be looking at this morning as we get into it. Maybe we'll just open with prayer, or this section here in prayer, and then we'll we'll, we'll get at it. Loving Father, we thank you that. Uh, into human history you sent your son uh, to give us this grand picture of who you are and how we should live and and our relationship with you we thank you that we can know you and that through you our lives are transformed uh, into these pictures of what life should be like as you've created us to be Um, as the word that Uh, You inspired through the Apostle Paul is written to us and John's read it out this morning with your spirit. Just take that and work in your hearts. Warm them with affection for you. Uh, Warm them with affection for each other. Uh, Confront us to and convict us where our own um, residue sinful nature tends to try to seek to squash that. Uh, Would you work in our lives in that area as well? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, in our, in our passage this morning, Paul paints a, a picture of what is really uh, deep. It's a picture of uh, a deep and real community uh, that is a product of, of what we would call gospel in life, the gospel lived, being lived out in life, a, a community that is bound together, uh, bonded together through a shared story of grace uh, found in Christ, found in Jesus, uh, a community that is bound together in shared service, 
and selfless service towards each other and a community that's, that's bound together in this, in this, in this selfless uh, sacrifice for the well-being of others uh, that, that, that Paul describes as partnering and participating in the gospel of grace. It, it, it defines all these relationships and um, I hadn't thought about it when I was putting this together but Acts 16 and we've been reminded of it this morning uh, is the story where the Philippian experience of these things began and a people who were previously were possibly natural born enemies like you've got that um, you know CEO Lydia and the street kid um, and then you've got the jailer these people have got nothing at all to do with each other and probably would look at each other with some kind of suspicion or whatever they all come together in the church of Philippi and now they are people who know each other and care for each other deeply and in this particular portrait of this church uh, there's a few little uh, characters in this passage that are being highlighted we've got Paul he's the author of this letter he's the pastor of this community and then there's Timothy his his mentee Uh, uh, he's kind of a you know, if you know about Timothy, he's a bit of a frail but faithful servant of the gospel. If Timothy is famous for anything he does not want to be famous for, it's that he needs a little wine for his stomach. Like, you hear that about him all the time. But Paul has no one like him. And then there's Epaphroditus, who Paul describes as a brother and a co-worker and a fellow soldier, someone who's just in the trenches doing, doing the hard work of shouldering and laboring with each other. And he's also a member of this church in Philippi. He's been sent to Paul uh, to share news and all this sort of stuff, to give a gift of love and support to Paul, who is not just kind of, he's up there, he's in Rome, and he describes himself always as a prisoner of the gospel, but now he's in an actual literal prison Uh, for the gospel and so there's this picture that is woven together Uh, through all these relationships we get to see this expression of a community of deep love and deep affection of looking out for each other a community that seeks to serve each other and this is the kind of community that we all need this is the kind of community that we all really need to be in. We are relational beings. We need an environment in which relationships can be authentic, in which relationships can be real and generous, and in which relationships can be mutual. We need to remind ourselves of the context of, of, of how this community came about, of the context in which this entire chapter, chapter 2, um, is painted. It lives under the light of verses 1 to 4, which is why I got John to read them out, where Paul is describing these new spiritual, uh, environmental realities in which relationships are now enjoyed, in which relationships are now developed through a shared encounter with Christ, who himself has renounced his right to enjoy his rights as you know the creator of the universe God of all things in order that he might come and serve us at a level that nobody else could serve us dealing with the power and the practice and the presence of sin in our lives that's what he's come to do and it's because we have first been served by God through Christ that leads to people having this outworking in their lives of doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility counting others more significant than themselves let each of you look not to your own interests but also to the interests of others so we saw last week that before we start grumbling 
about things. You know, thinking about the obstacles that get in the way of our perceived rights. Before we are known for the things that frustrate us and the things that cause us uh, infuriation, we should actually be known more for the things that free us, for the things that bring us together as a community that unite us. And as we live this out, we become the Word made flesh. We, we begin to reveal who uh, Jesus is to the world. We, we shine like lights, Paul says, in a crooked and twisted culture as we work out our salvation together, as, our, as, these, as the dynamics of relationships infused with the grace of Christ begin to become evident to people, this is a countercultural community. It's not merely an exercise of memorizing truth claims, but an exercise of those claims transforming us, doing the work of turning selfish ambition and conceit into humility, and selfless service towards others. A heart of finding more delight in the pursuit of holiness, in the pursuit of, uh, of, of living a life that looks more like the one we see in Jesus than, than one of hostility, of, of pushing back and demanding our rights and pushing back towards God and saying, look, I think I'll hold on to that. Well, Paul gives us two case studies in this new community of people who fit this picture that we find in verses 1 to 4. He says down, right down the bottom in verse 29 that we are to delight in this picture, to take joy in this, and to honor such men. Honor those who serve you through being servants of the gospel as they do the living out of this relational love and this encouragement and this sympathy and this affection and participation in the spirit that Paul describes in these, first, in these opening verses of 1 to 4. The two personal profiles are those of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And Paul hopes to eventually send Timothy back to the Philippian church so that he can give an account of everything that's been going on with Paul as he's been in jail and, and perhaps how their gift helped him out. And then he hopes, you know, God willing to get back down to the Philippian church and serve them himself. But before that, due to circumstances that are in Rome, he intends to send Epaphroditus ahead of both Timothy and Paul to, to get down there and serve them both these men Paul describes as selfless servants there's this description of them as he as he writes about who these men are we find this servant heart Timothy is a guy who thinks about the welfare of others rather than himself Paul says he has no one like Timothy no one with the kind of servant heart the, the selfless tireless faithful genuine concern for others he has no one with the kind of who, who kind of applies his gifts the way that Timothy does. He doesn't let obstacles like the fact that he is continually unwell stop him from exercising his gifts. And Paul says there's no other relational partnership like the one that he has with Timothy. He's, he's like a son to me, a kindred spirit in service. You get the feeling that this great man Paul is served more by the presence of Timothy this young guy in his life and Timothy is perhaps served by Paul and then there's Epaphroditus and he is this this co-worker this servant this this soldier and he is willing to risk his life for Paul and the Philippians Epaphroditus nearly dies uh, on this trek from Philippi up to Rome seeking to serve Paul and his church Echoing and capturing uh, what's written there in verses 4 and, and in capturing what Jesus described 
as, as the greatest love one person can have for another person, the greatest way to serve, to express love towards another person, that you would lay down your life for someone, that, to, that you would go to that extent of service and love. So the picture that Jesus gives of what's the greatest love that you can have toward another fellow human being is not romantic love, it's not uh, sexual love, but it is sacrificial love of friends who are willing to lay down their lives for each other, willing to serve each other to these ends. Have you ever thought about that? That the highest picture of love in Scripture is actually not marriage or romantic sexual love, but the kind of relationships that are meant to exist in the church between Christians. Both Jesus and Paul, who both strongly affirm the sanctity and the goodness of marriage, say it's not the be-all and end-all, the pinnacle, uh, totally, of how love is experienced and shared. You read about that in John 15. If you don't believe me, you can read about it in 1 Corinthians 7. This is important to know, because you don't need to be married to experience and know deep love. You can be single and encounter deep relational love love and the church is supposed to be the place where that takes place where people encounter that so here paul he doesn't present us with any doctrinal issues or theology theology rather he pushes across the table the character of these two servants these two brothers these two people whose love of jesus which comes from Jesus having first loved them, works itself out in love for others, in acts of service for others. The Bible is the history of real lives, real people, and a real God, all living together to, to shine forth this alternative community, a better picture of life on planet Earth. A planet that is full of broken lives and, and relationships, of jacked up ways of living together and relating to each other. Where the established rule is self-gratification, self-fulfillment at the expense of others. If you, are not, if you are not being served in a relationship, then really is it worth your time? Is it really pumping up your tires as it should but here, in this picture that Paul is painting, we have a model that says we are to serve those who we are in relationship with because we have first been served by God. It's not so much what you accomplish in these things, but how you accomplish it. Have you built people up, served them along the way, or have you trampled on people, been indifferent to people uh, you know, to display your gifts to get your abilities out there. In the picture that this passage paints, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, we, we get this picture of a community of uh, mutuality, of lives lived out in solidarity where each uh, give out to others, where each are looking out for the interests of others. It's the opposite of what we find um, celebrated and that uh, I suppose in the world it's the opposite um, well the counterfeit of this kind of way the opposite to mutuality is probably 
manipulation where you use relationships to get what you want out of others. You get your needs out of others. That shouldn't be the case within this, this group of people. When we pursue prestige and power over people, we've lost our soul. We've lost the very thing that the gospel seeks to transform relationships into. As we work out our faith together through lives of service, we become a community that that shines forth what genuine love for each other looks like. The greatest kind of love. Costly love. And service builds up relationships in a way that creates trust, in a way that creates confidence. You know you're safe with someone who has a heart and service of others over a heart and service of self. When someone is looking out not for their own interests but for the interests of others. This is how people encounter the love of God and the heart of Christ and the presence of the Spirit. when, When we get to live this out toward people. And when those acts of service, when this lived out relational community towards each other is developed and not destroyed in even testing times, like when we're under pressure, when there's all kinds of crazy goes on, then our relationships grow even deeper. And the picture of the transforming power of the gospel is even brighter. Rather than falling apart under pressure, we we come together under pressure. And in a community like this, when, when somebody doesn't have the strength to serve themselves, it's not that they don't have the desire. It's not that they're not willing to, to, to have a... That's within them. They are just gassed. They are just beaten down for a time. Well, that's when this community moves towards them and serves them, serves you. When you can't pray, we, we get around and we, we pray with you, for you. When you can't be happy... We lament with you. Sit, listen. When you don't have the strength to hope, then, then we hope with you, for you. This is how we become a people of joy, who have the capacity to serve each other in sorrow. Not in the absence of sorrow. It's just a different approach. Where your sorrow is not diminished, it's met with service. It's met with sympathy, love and affection. This description that we find in Verses 1 to 4. A community like the one pictured here in this passage lifts us, holds us, encourages us when life wants to bury us. When life overwhelms you, you should be overwhelmed with the service of God's people. And if we plan to be a church that plans to serve our neighbours and witness to the world out there around us, plans to be an order of local missionaries that know Jesus and then kind of make that known, then we have to start by serving each other here. The same heart and mind in which Jesus has served us. Otherwise, what are, we, what, are we, what are we bringing people to? What are we saying that works if it doesn't work here first? Timothy, Epaphroditus... Paul, all share in the mindset of Jesus. Their lives are the way they are because they have first been served by him and they continue to be served by Jesus. So this picture in this passage is not something that we can't obtain. It's not something that that we can't know. It comes via lives that serve out of first being served by Jesus. To the degree that you encounter that, 
to the degree that you press into that relationship is the degree that you become a, a, a selfless server to others. And we, we kind of heard a little bit of that float through the story that Sam shared with us this morning. This is the picture that, 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 free, that we want Freeway to become and be. And, 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 the, and the reality is we're, we're already there to a large degree. Uh, we have people here at Freeway like this. And there's people serving all over the place. Uh, but this passage here, and this is going to be a bit of a theme throughout the year, is that we want to honour people who serve. We want to, we want to just kind of just put a little bit of a light on them, show them love, give them a bit of honour uh, that may go unnoticed because they're not up here on stage or they're not, I don't know, preaching messages or leading some big end ministry. And we, we kind of hope that throughout the year that we're going to be able to keep doing this, that people would be, that we would honour people who, who, who are this kind of selfless, serving mentality.